Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie K, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Dorothy L. Sayers' Lord Peter Whimsey in Whose Body, which is a tale that first introduced Lord Peter to the world and sees him investigating the case of a corpse in a Battersea bathtub and a vanished oil millionaire. This will be a five-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this nostalgic mystery radio. Thank you for listening. Lord Peter Whimsey. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter, with Patricia Routledge as the Dowager Duchess and Richard Goulden as Mr Crimplesham. Whose Body? by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted by Chris Miller in five episodes. Episode 3, Lunch at Lady Swaffham's. Lord Peter Whimsey is investigating the mystery of a middle-aged man's body found totally naked except for a pair of gold pince-nez in the bath of Mr Thipps, a Battersea architect. Having inserted an advertisement about the pince-nez in the Times and elicited a reply from a Mr Crimplesham of Salisbury who claims they belong to him, Lord Peter pays a visit to Salisbury with Bunter. You know, the most tiresome thing about luncheon in a cathedral city, Bunter, is that the atmosphere of the close seems to pervade even the food. Yes, my lord. However, what have you been finding out about Mr Crimplesham? Is he the villain we suspect him to be, or is he merely the innocent dupe of other villains? I couldn't say, to be sure, my lord. Mr Crimplesham is the senior partner of a firm of solicitors, Crimplesham and Wicks, whose offices are at the Milford Hill address given in the gentleman's telegram. The solicitor, eh? Well, what can I expect, then, Bunter? Is he the sort of man who would leave his pince-nez on a dead body in a Battersea bathroom and then, with infinite bravado, claim them back, reasoning that the last person we shall expect to find answer in our advertisement is the criminal himself? I think not, my lord, if I may put it that way. From what I can gather from the folk in the town, Mr Crimplesham is a very upstanding, if somewhat old-fashioned gentleman, Mm -hmm. and I believe he is to retire quite soon, my lord, being close on 80, and the business will be carried on by Mr Wicks, his partner who is also well spoken of, my lord. Close on 80. Is he as old as that, Bunter? Yes, my lord, but extremely active, I'm informed, despite his game leg. Game? (laughs) Well, that disposes of Crimplesham as the villain of the piece straight away, don't it, Bunter? I confess I find the mental picture of a gentleman of 80 with a game leg carrying a dead body over the roof of a Battersea flat at midnight less than totally convincing. Yes, my lord. Still, he may yet be the brain behind the hands... The aged spider sitting invisible in the centre of the vibrating web, don't you know? Or, of course, it is possible, Bunter, that our murderer is, in fact, an enemy of Crimplesham, who stole his pince-nez and left them on the body in order to throw suspicion upon him. It is possible, my lord. I believe, my lord, that that is Mr Crimplesham's office across the way now. Oh, right here, Bunter. Yes, there it is. Well, I think you might step into this little shop and buy a sporting paper. And if I do not emerge from the villain's lair, say, within three quarters of an hour, you may take such steps as your perspicuity may suggest. Very good, my lord. 
Now, have I a card of my own and one of Parker's? Yes. Good. Well, I fancy that my long suit this time is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. My dear Lord Peter, how extremely good of you to come in person. Indeed, I'm ashamed to have given you so much trouble. I, I trust you were passing this way and that my glasses have not put you to any great inconvenience. Do take a seat. Oh, thank you, Mr. Crumpleton, but it's quite all right. I was here on business anyway. Very happy to be of service to you. Very awkward losing one's glasses, was Oh, yes, I assure you. I feel quite lost without them. I have this pair, but they don't uh, fit my nose so well. Mm. Uh, did you come across them in the train? The train? Yes. If you recall, I mentioned in my telegram that I lost them on the LB and SC railway somewhere, uh, somewhere between uh, Victoria and Balham on Monday... It was the 5.45 train and extremely crowded, and I feared that they'd been stolen. Oh. Do you mind telling me, Mr. Crimpleton, if you recognised any of your fellow travellers that evening? Well, not a soul, Lord Peter. Why do you ask? Well, I found these spectacles in rather an unexpected place, and I thought perhaps the... Uh, well, the person with whom I found them might have taken them for a joke. Mm. Did this person claim to be an acquaintance of mine? I know no practically nobody in London except the friend with whom I was staying in Balham, a Dr. Philpotts, and I should be greatly surprised at his practising a jest upon me. Uh, my business in London was to attend a meeting of the shareholders in Medlicott's Bank, but the other gentlemen present were all personally unknown to me, and I cannot think that any of them would take so great a liberty either. Uh, pray forgive my seeming inquisitiveness, Mr. Grimpletrum, but I must ask you another question. Uh, are you aware that you have an enemy? Anyone, I mean, who would profit by your, um, well, decease or disgrace? May I ask the meaning of this extraordinary, you know, impudent question? Uh, Mr. Grimpletrum, uh, you have no doubt read what the papers have said about the uh, Battersea Park mystery... Your glasses are the pair that was found on the body, and they are now in the possession of the police at Scotland Yard. Good God, is this an attempt at blackmail? Oh, no, Mr. Grimbleton. No, I am investigating the matter privately on behalf of Mr. Thipps, the gentleman in whose bath the body was found. I, I'm very much afraid, Lord Peter that only until such time as the police wish to interview me... And I may add that I am working in close collaboration with Inspector Parker of the Yard. Uh, this is his telephone number here, if you wish to assure yourself of my bona fides. Oh, I do apologise, Lord Peter, of course, of course. <laughs> Don't mention it, Mr Crumpleton. But I say, if you could give me some details of your visit to town, I'd be no end grateful, and I think I could ensure you that your glasses would be returned to you as soon as possible. Oh, thank you, Lord Peter. Yes, of course. Anything you wish to ask me, anything. Good, my lord. 
Have you had a successful morning in Balham, my lord? Well, I have confirmed most of what Mr. Crimplesham told me yesterday about his visit there, if that's what you mean. Yes, any messages? Mr. Parker rang up, my lord, and said that he had attended the inquest on the man in the bath yesterday afternoon. Well, what was he doing there? I mean, he's meant to be looking for Sir Reuben Levy. You can't find missing financiers by attending inquests on Battersea vagrants. Uh, no, my lord. But Mr. Parker informs me that there was something of a sensation at the inquest when the coroner suggested that the body in Mr. Thipps' bath was Sir Reuben, my lord. Sug! Sir Julian Freak was extremely incensed by the suggestion, being a friend of the family, and according to Mr. Parker, he demanded an apology from Inspector Sugg for having first put forward the idea and thus caused Lady Levy unnecessary shock and distress. And quite right, too. Well, what was Sir Julian doing at the inquest? He and Dr. Grimbald of Scotland Yard were presenting the medical evidence, my lord, having conducted the autopsy together. Ah, yes. Any surprises there? Not really, my lord. The two medical gentlemen were in agreement that the cause of death had been a blow on the back of the neck, either by accident or design, but they begged to differ on the question of how long the unfortunate fellow had lingered on afterwards. In what way did they differ? Well, my lord, according to Mr Parker, Sir Julian considered that death had occurred a few hours after the blow, while hey. Dr Grimbold, apparently with the greatest hesitancy in venturing to differ from his distinguished colleague, my lord, put the period at several days. Really? Oh, well, it don't do to build too much on a doctor's evidence at the best of times. These blooming medicos always contradict each other in the box. I'll answer it, Bunter, would you please? Uh, yes, my lord. Good morning, my lady. Yes, my lady. Certainly, my lady. I will inform his lordship at once. Goodbye, my lady. Lady Swaffham, my lord. She hopes your lordship has not forgotten you are lunching with her. What? Oh, by Jove, you, I have forgotten, Bunter, and I mean to go on forgetting. Look, just ring her back and tell her that I have succumbed suddenly to lethargic encephalitis and no flowers by request. Lady Swaffham said she was counting on you, my lord. Her grace, the Dowager Duchess of Denver, will be there. Mother? And... Well, what's she doing in town? I believe she came up for the inquest, my lord, with old Mrs. Thipps. Also, Mrs. Tommy Frail will be at Lady Swaffham's, my lord, and the American railway magnate, Mr. John P. Milligan. Milligan? Good lord, Bunter, why didn't you say so before? I must go immediately. Look, with a taxi, I could <coughs> just... Not in those trousers, my lord. Oh, no, Bunter, you do not understand. When I went to see Milligan in the city the other day, suspecting him of kidnapping Sir Reuben Levy and so on, I had to spin him a yarn. I told him that Her Grace had invited him down to Denver to speak at her bazaar, and I haven't told Mother yet. Nevertheless, my lord... The trousers are all right, Bunter. Not for Lady Swaffham's, my lord. Oh, very well, Bunter. I wish to blaze it I'd never let you grow into a privileged family retainer. Thank you very much, my lord. Well, come along, Bunter. Come along, come along, come along. Yes, my lord. You have absolutely no conception of the mistakes my mother may be making. No conception whatsoever. <laughs> Lucy, may I present Mr. John P. Milligan of Chicago? Uh, Mr. Milligan, the Dowager Duchess of Denver. Good morning, Mr. Milligan. Well, now, I'm very pleased to meet you, Duchess, and to thank you for your exceedingly kind invitation. Oh, well. I assure you it's a compliment I deeply appreciate. Well, not at all, Mr. Milligan. I'm delighted to hear that, uh, that, uh, well, why don't you come and sit down and talk to oh, me? Thank you. Oh. I do so love talking to you great businessmen. <laughs> now, let me see now. It is, uh, 
Is it, uh, uh, railways? Right. And I guess it's just as interesting for us businessmen to meet British aristocrats as it is for Britishers to meet American railway kings, Duchess. Well, I... Fancy now, it was it was only the day before yesterday that that, that fine lad of yours called on me. Oh? Uh, oh, p- Peter? Uh, Lord Peter, yes. Uh, of course, yes, it would be. Well, I may say I was very gratified by Lord Peter's suggestion, for which I understand you a responsible duchess, and I'll surely be very pleased to come any day you like, though I think you're flattering me too much. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're the best judge of that, Mr. Milligan. Oh? Um, oh! Oh, yes! I believe that I ought to be thanking you in the name of the Vicar of Duke's Denver for a very munificent cheque which reached him oh. yesterday for the church restoration well. fund. He was so delighted and astonished, poor dear man. Well, that, that, that's nothing. We we haven't any fine old crusted buildings like yours over on our side, so it's a privilege to be allowed to, uh, to drop a little kerosene into the wormholes when we hear of one in the old country suffering from sea I'll decay. Yes. So, uh, when your lad told me about Duke's Denver, why, I took the liberty to subscribe uh, without waiting for the bazaar. Uh, oh, the bazaar? Yes. Uh, oh, the bazaar. You, you, you are coming, Mr. Milligan? Well, sure thing. Lord Peter said you'd let me know for sure about the date, but uh, we can always make time for a little bit of good work anyway. Of course, I'm hoping to be able to avail myself of your kind invitation to stop over. Oh, really? But uh, if I'm rushed, I'll manage anyhow to mm. pop along and speak my piece and then pop back again. Well, I hope so very much. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I must uh, uh, see what can be done about the date. Of course, I can't promise. No, 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 no of course not. I, I know what these things are to fix up. And then there's not only me. There's there's all the real big men of European eminence that your son mentioned have to be consulted. Oh, did he? Mm. Uh, oh, well, I, I can't say how grateful we are to you, Mr. Milligan. <laughs> It'll be such a treat. <laughs> Do tell me what you're thinking of saying. Well, I... Th- well, here, here's Lord Peter now. Oh, I really am most awfully sorry, Lady Swaffham. Do hope you'll forgive me being so late, what? I am simply groveling before you. Shall I go and eat my lunch in the corner? <laughs> no, Peter. This time I forgive you. You may come in with the rest of us. Oh, I say thanks, Orsay. Your dear mother is here, Peter. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, how do, Mother? And how are you, dear? You really oughtn't to have turned up just yet. Mr. Milligan was just going to tell me what a thrilling speech he's preparing for the bazaar. And now you've interrupted him. You weren't at the Battersea inquest then, Peter? Uh, Afraid not, Lady Swarton, no. But my view is Inspector Sugg knew I was out of town and asked the coroner to get it over with before I came back. (laughs) But uh, Mother was there, weren't you, Mother? Oh, yes, dear. I couldn't let old Mrs. Thipps come alone, now could uh, I? Pardon my ignorance, Duchess, but is that the wife of the gentleman who's been arrested for the murder? Oh, no, Mr. Milligan. It's his mother. Ah. Poor little Mr. Thipps. He had such a nasty time with the coroner. Mm-hmm. An awful little man, I thought. He kept looking daggers at me because I was talking to Inspector Parker, as if he was going to commit me for whatchamacallit, you know. <laughs> In what way did Mr. Thipps have a beastly time, Mother? Well, dear, do you know, 
He turned out to have a guilty secret. Mm -hmm. That was why he lied about the time he got home that night. Such a respectable little man, too. But I rather admired him. The coroner was asking him about his movements on Monday evening. Yes. And Mr. Thipps told the jury he'd arrived at St Pancras from Manchester and had cloakroomed his bag. At this point, poor man, he became very red, very unhappy and very confused. Now, Mr. Thipps, uh, we must have your movements quite clear. You have chosen to give evidence, which you need not have done, but having done so, you will find it best to be perfectly explicit. Uh, yes, sir. It's really very unpleasant for a man in my position, but I really couldn't have it thought for a moment that I'd committed this dreadful crime. I assure you, gentlemen, I couldn't bear that. No, I'd rather tell you the truth. I'm afraid it places me in rather a... Well, uh, well, I'll tell you. You fully understand the gravity of making such a statement, Mr Phipps? Quite. Well, then, it's true I got to St Pancras at ten, but there was a man in the carriage with me. He got in at Leicester. I didn't recognise him at first, but he turned out to be an old schoolfellow of mine. What was this gentleman's name, Mr Phipps? I'm afraid I can't tell you that. Oh. Uh, you see, uh, that, that, that is, you will see, uh, it'd get him into trouble. And I couldn't do that. No, I, I, I really couldn't do that. Not if my life depended on it. Well, well, <laughs> uh, carry on, Mr Phipps. Well, when we got to St Pancras, my friend said we hadn't met for a long time and that we ought to... Uh, to, to make a night of it was his expression. I fear I was weak and let him overpersuade me to accompany him to one of his haunts. I use the word advisedly, sir, and I assure you that if I'd known beforehand where we were going, I never would have set foot in the place. And what was the name of this place, Mr. Thipps? I really couldn't say, sir, but I know it was near the corner of Tottenham Court Road and Oxford Street. There was a man at the counter when we went in, and my friend bought some tickets and we went down to a room underneath where there were drinks. My friend had several and made me take one or two. I'm an abstemious man as a rule. And he talked to some other men and girls who were there. A vulgar set of people, I thought them. Uh, I wouldn't say, but uh, what, some of the young ladies were nice looking enough. Uh, there were a lot of people dancing, all those uh, up-to-date dances, and one of the young ladies came up to me and said... Uh, wouldn't I stand her a drink? So I ordered the drink, uh, gin and bitters it was. Didn't like not to, but it went against my conscience. Such a young girl as she was. And she put her arm round my neck and kissed me, just like as if she was paying for the drink. And it really went to my heart, sir. Cheero! Remove the person who made that improper noise. Hey, no, I say, now you keep your hands off me. Go on, Go on, please, Mr. Thipps. Well, sir, about uh, half past twelve, as I should reckon, things began to get a bit lively. So I thought I'd just slip quietly out. When I heard a scuffle and a shout, and before I knew what was happening, there were half a dozen policemen in. And the lights went out, and everybody stampeding and shouting. Quite horrid it was. Then someone caught hold of me. I think it was the young lady I'd given the drink to, and she said, This way, and pushed me along a passage and out of the back somewhere. So I ran through the streets and got a taxi and came home. And that's the truth. Well, Mr Phipps, we shall be able to substantiate a certain amount of this story. Uh, now, can you tell me what time you did get in? 
About half past one, I should think, sir. Though really, I was so upset. Mm, quite so. <clears throat> Did you visit the bathroom before going to bed? No. And you heard nothing during the night? No. I fell fast asleep. What we'd been so agitated and tired, I just tumbled right off. I didn't wait until Gladys called me. Well, thank you, Mr. Thipps. You may stand down. Uh, call Gladys Horrocks. Call Gladys Horrocks. So that was that, really. Poor little man. Well, he seems to give Mr. Thipps an alibi, don't it, Mother? Since the body had been dead 24 hours and he'd been in Manchester for two days. But I do hope so, dear. Is, uh, is the gentleman still under arrest, Duchess? I believe he is. As if having to confess to having been to a nightclub weren't sufficiently disrespectable. Yes, yes. Mind you, the Thipps family had their revenge when the old lady took the stand. Did she give evidence, Lucy? I thought you said she was as deaf as a post. Well, she is, dear. And I almost felt sorry for that little coroner then. Mm -hmm. Did you hear anything unusual in the night, says the little man, leaning forward and screaming at her? <laughs> Well, of course I have. Any time these 80 years, she says. And such a sensation in court till they found out that she thought he'd said, do you sleep without a light? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughing. And, and then the coroner said quite loudly, damn the woman. And she heard that. I can't think why. And she said... Don't you go swearing, young man, sitting there in the presence of Providence, as you may say. I don't know what young people are coming to nowadays. And he's 60 if he's a day, you know. Inspector Parker, my lord. Hello, Peter. Charles Akushla. Come in and sit down while I finish my sonata. Beast of an evening, ain't it? Bunter, furnish Mr. Parker with a drink, would you? Very good, my lord. Ah, thank you, Bunter. <laughs> Marvellous. That's a wonderful instrument, Whimsy. Oh, it ain't so bad, but Scarlatti wants a harpsichord, you know. Piano's too modern. <laughs> All thrills and overturns. Yeah, thank you, Bunter. If you could excuse me now, my lord. Uh, oh, righty here, if you must. Gone to overhaul my wardrobe. Very particular man, you know, is Mervyn Bunter. Yes. Well, Charles, what's the business of the evening? Well, I was wondering how you got on with the ferocious and hardened Crimplesham, Peter. Ah. In a nutshell, he gave me full details of his visit to town, and I have substantiated them all. Unless he's corrupted half Ballam, there is no doubt that he spent the night there, and the afternoon really was spent with the bank people. Half the residents of Salisbury seem to have seen him off on Monday before lunch, and nobody but his family, or young Wicks, his partner, seemed to have anything to gain by his death. In addition, young Wicks, uh, even if he did want to make away with Crimplesham, was at a dance given by the presenter on Monday night. It's a funny case, isn't it? Every line of inquiry seems to peter out like rivers getting lost in the sand. Mm. Did you hear about the inquest? Uh, mother told me about Thipps. Anything else come up? Yes. Gladys Horrocks was lying too. Uh, was she, by Joe? It seems she slipped out without leave that night to attend the 
Plumbers and Glazier's Ball at the Black-Faced Ram, with her young man, a glazier called Bill Williams. And that's why she didn't know when Thipps got in. You say the house was deserted, apart from one extremely deaf old lady? Yes. Uh-huh. Gladys Horrocks got in about two o'clock, and of course she didn't look in the bathroom either. Now, you can see why Sug considers the whole set-up so suspicious. He considers that either Thipps or Gladys Horrocks or Gladys Horrocks' young man did it. And he reasons that since Bill Williams is a glazier and glaziers come on ladders, Bill Williams must have come on a ladder with the body. Bosh! Well, quite. You and I know, Whimsy, that the body was brought across the roof, but Sug, only seeing what he's looking for, didn't notice the shreds of material in the gutter. All he found were the marks on the windowsill. Sug! He's too perfect to be possible. (laughs) He's a myth, a fable, an idiot boy spawned in a moonlight hour by some fantastic poet's brain. What price the motive? Well, we can't provide a motive either, Whimsy, come to that. I don't suppose we will do. We can discover who the wretched fellow is. But you can't have a crime without a motive. Why was Thipps selected for such an abominable practical joke, to put it at his lowest? Has anybody got a grudge against him? Perhaps someone in one of the other flats? Does he play the piano at midnight or damage the reputation of the staircase by bringing home dubiously respectable ladies? (laughs) Are there unsuccessful architects thirsting for his blood? I've seen everybody in the flats, Whimsy, and I drew a blank. (laughs) He and his mother seem to live a very quiet life. So we come back to where we were before, don't we, old Parker Bird? Whose body is it? Well, it must belong, or have belonged, to someone. It's deuced odd, I agree. I mean, the papers have carried news of the affair from one end of the country to the other, with a full description of the corpse, and yet no one has come forward to identify him. Not successfully, anyway. Well, that's hardly surprising, Charles. The description Sugg circulated was rather misleading. Yes. I mean, we know when the man was alive that he didn't have a clean-shaven chin, elegantly groomed hair, and Mr. Crumplesham's pince-nez reposing on his nose... But who else does? Yes, we're all the same, Peter. A man doesn't just melt out of society without leaving a gap or so much as a ripple. (laughs) Sir Julian Freake suggested at the inquest that the man might have been an Australian colonist or something of that sort, someone who'd just arrived in the country. Surely Suggs made inquiries at the seaport. Yes, sir. I've checked them. Nothing doing. You know, I'm beginning to wonder whether this fellow was murdered at all. Or whether it was just an accident that slipped through the net. Dr. Grimble said as much yesterday afternoon. The man could have been killed by something heavy falling on him. But that does not explain why he ended up in Thipps' bath. Or why he was shaved and groomed for the occasion. Yes, I know, I know. Anyway, I've checked all the accidents for the 48 hours before the body was discovered, and there was nothing there either. 48 hours? But didn't Grimble say at the inquest that the man could have been dead for several days? Oh, yes, but... Freak was sure it was only a few hours. Well, Grimbald's a good police surgeon, but I'd be inclined to take Freak's word above his. Freak's a big man. I don't think he'd be fooled. No, but it might be worth following up all the same. All right. Oh, incidentally, Whimsy, talking of Freak, I spoke to him yesterday afternoon. Yes? From what he tells me, he was probably the last man to see Sir Reuben Levy before his disappearance. <laughs> In that episode of Whose Body, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones. The Dowager Duchess of Denver, Patricia Routledge, Mr Crimplesham, Richard Goulden. Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Mr Thipps, Norman Bird. John P Milligan, Blaine Fairman, Coroner, David Sinclair, and Lady Swaffham, Elizabeth Reville. Lunch at Lady Swaffham's was adapted by Chris Miller from the book Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers. 
The programme was produced by Simon Brett. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening.